great to be back with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. This is the Jewish Growth Podcast. We had a challenging week in our community here in Manalapan. Over the course of several days, it became apparent that, sadly, our local renowned Chinese Express served non-kosher product to us over the past six months. This seems baffling, but anyways, the store lost its hashgacha. It is now closed, and it is a challenge. Challenges also bring opportunity, and in fact, one gentleman in the community was calling me and urging me to work with other local rabbis to form a VOD so we can actually get together and strengthen local kashras. Another community member actually told me that he's working towards a purchase of the closed Chinese restaurant to uh, reopen it under Jewish ownership. And what's more, this challenge is an opportunity for us to ask ourselves an important question. Why do we keep kosher in the first place? Why do we want kosher resources? And the answer to that question really gets to the heart of who we are as a people. Last Pesach, I came across a Facebook post where someone recalled their experiences at a kosher restaurant in Florida. And the writer commented that while the restaurant was glot kosher, with all strictures adhered to, he used to see some Jewish customers treat workers in a rude and unkind way. And you don't have to be a, a big Talmudic scholar to know or to sense that something's wrong with that. Shouldn't people who care about kashras treat their workers with dignity? In fact, our Parsha Kitetze this week moves seamlessly between laws related to sanctity of the Jewish people and those related to human relationships. For example, the Torah instructs us to dedicate our camp to God with the removal of excrement. Our camp shall be holy, the Torah says, because Hashem your God walks in your midst, of in the midst of your camp. And this idea that God is in our camp is really the truth behind all mitzvot, whether it is the command to keep kosher or just to have peace with our neighbors. And just consider that the Torah instructs us to lost return lost objects to their owner. And immediately after that, in the verses that follow, we are prohibited from planting a, a forbidden mixture of grain and a vine. And so there you have it, returning lost objects in one breath, the very next sentence, a, de a divine decree against a forbidden mixture. All of it is a part of one single Torah that says, God is walking in your midst. And you should know Hashem in everything that you do, whether it's eating matzah on the 15th night of Nisan, Passover, or making timely payment to your workers. And this aspect of our Torah is so compelling that some people, including non-Jews, have pointed out that it feels like human rights themselves make little sense without religion in a secular world in which there's nothing but the material and everything is a product of evolution, all morality is relative. In fact, I was reading about a popular pastor in New York, someone by the name of Timothy Keller, and he recently spoke about this topic, and he said, if everything's relative, why should we care if another person suffers? How do we know the difference between right and wrong? And he argues that the notion of all human beings as precious and equal in dignity comes from the idea that God made us in his image. And this, of course, is supported by Rashi in our Parsha, because consider the following. When a person is sentenced to death, 
their corpse cannot be hung overnight. Because the Torah says the hung corpse is a, is a curse of God. In other words, every person, even someone sentenced to death, is a representative of God, and therefore their body must be treated with dignity. A hung corpse is It is the degradation of the king. And Rashi writes that because a person is a manifestation of, of God, the, the Torah needs to be mindful of human dignity for every single person, even the person who is sentenced to death. And so, in that light, we can ask, what becomes of dignity or human rights in a world without God? And there's just no question that the philosophy that a human being is a mere collection of atoms really misses the heart of who we are as people. But perhaps it is possible, we could think, for human rights to thrive in a secular world, because after all, one could argue that no person wants to suffer. And so in an atheist mind frame, people can just form a social contract based on mutual agreement that suffering is bad. And so on the one hand, we might think that it is feasible to have a society in which there, there is morality, even without God. But on the other hand, godless societies, North Korea comes to mind, have not fared too well on the human rights front. Well, beyond these speculations, the truth is that treating people with goodness and with dignity actually goes far beyond the idea that we don't want to suffer. Because the underlying principle is, in the Torah, is our relationship with God is the foundation of everything that we do. And the Torah illustrates this with a couple of cases. Firstly, the Torah describes the dignity of the debtor. If a debtor is a poor person and must offer his garment or his blanket as collateral, you need to return it to them at sunset so that they'll be warm at night. And that way, the debtor will sleep in his garment and he will bless you. As the Torah remarks, And for you, it will be considered as tzedakah before Hashem your God. How you act with this poor debtor is an indication of your relationship with Hashem. And likewise, the Torah states that when you hire a day laborer, you need to pay them at sunset. This poor worker is poor. His life depends on the wages. Let him not call out against you to Hashem, for it shall be a sin in you. And so what is happening between you and the workers, the Torah asks? Are they blessing you? Or calling out to God in anguish because of how you treated them? And we see a really important thing here. Because the Torah could have just said, that you should avoid holding back any wages or non-payment because you wouldn't want that done to yourself. And of course, that's true. We should not do unto others what's hateful to us, as Hillel teaches us. But the verse adds another critical dimension. Mistreating people is not only a bad idea because it's bad for others or society, but causing damage to another person undermines your connection to the God who created both of you. And that is a consistent theme. The Torah states that you may not see the ox or lamb of your fellow and hide from it. 
You must gather it into your house and return it to him. And the same is true with their donkey or their garment or an item that he has lost. And the verse concludes, Lo salam. When you see these things, you are unable to hide. How so? How are you unable to hide? Rashi says, Don't avert your eyes, as if you don't see. But again, how is it that you're unable to avert your eyes? Can't a person hide if they want? And the answer is that even though a court of law, even though a Beit Din cannot enforce noticing the lost object, we're not allowed to avert our eyes from the needs of our fellow because God knows how we choose to tilt our eyes. And so this is true all around, whether we're talking about observing the Chagim, the festivals, or keeping kosher, or worker rights. The Torah is always guiding us in our personal connection with our Creator. At this time of year, as we lead into Rosh Hashanah, we're reading the Haftarot of Yeshayahu Isaiah. And one of the great messages of Isaiah is that in order for society to be righteous, it needs to be founded on the pursuit of tzedek and mishpat, righteousness and justice. There are natural lights in the world, the, the Navi, the prophet says, laws that make sense, that minimize human suffering. But the foundation of all of this is God. As we read, or will read in, in the Haftarah next week, the, the Navi says, Lo you shall no longer need the sun for the light of day, nor the brightness of moon to illuminate your night. Rather, Hashem shall be unto you an eternal light. And your people will be entirely righteous. So yes, there are natural lights. There are laws and postulates that make sense. But at the end of the day, there's a greater light. There's no need for the sun and the moon, so to speak, when we allow the light of God to shine into our world. Interesting person, Bidi Deutsch, is a world-class marathon runner from Israel. She is Torah observant, and she does not race on Shabbos. This past week, she was commenting on social media on this very idea about God being in every aspect of our lives, writing about a challenge that she faced in her life. She was training for the championship women's marathon that will be taking place in Budapest in the summer of 2023. And moments before last Shabbos, a week ago, she learned that this race will take place on Saturday. At first, she felt devastated by not being able to participate. She first thought to herself, well, what's the big deal? Maybe I can find a rabbi who would approve of racing on Shabbat. But then the following thought occurred to her. Listen to what she wrote. Shabbat, she says, is an expression of my deep commitment to God covenant between me and my creator, an acknowledgement that God runs the world and I'm nothing without God. As frustrated, disappointed, and upset as I was about missing the fourth huge race I've had to miss, in my heart I knew that this is ultimately my true purpose as a professional runner. With these words, she touched upon the real depth of the matter. What is our purpose as a friend, as an employer, or even for that matter, as an athlete? The answer is, that our true purpose is to know God. And as she suggests, knowing God is the why behind everything, eating food, going into business, or running a race. 
as Jews, we are a holy people, fully dedicated to connecting with God in all aspects of our lives. And so we have a new year before us. It's filled with opportunities for blessing. And as we embrace that moment, remember that God is our light. If we dedicate ourselves to the full and the vast array of mitzvot, we will enable the light of Hashem to shine forth in our own lives and far beyond. Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.